Chapter 7 of A Boy's Life of Booker T. Washington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Patterson. A Boy's Life of Booker T. Washington by W.C. Jackson. Building a Great School. At Hampton, the chapel exercises were at night. Here they sang the beautiful old Negro melodies and listened to a talk by General Armstrong or some other good speaker. One Sunday night in May of 1881, after the regular exercises, General Armstrong, who had a way of taking the students into his confidence as well as keeping them informed of matters of interest to the race, announced that he had received a very interesting letter. He then told them that the legislature of Alabama, at its last session, had set aside some money for the establishment of a Negro normal school, and that they were looking for a man to be the head of this school, and that he had been asked to recommend such a man. Of course they wanted a white man. However, the next day, General Armstrong sent for Booker Washington and said, Washington, you heard the announcement last night about the men in Alabama who want a man to be the head of their school. I have decided that you are the man for them. Will you take the place if it is offered to you? This was surely a great surprise, but Booker Washington was always ready. He said, I think I can fill the place, and I am willing to try. General Armstrong wrote at once about Washington. The next Sunday night, during the chapel exercises, a telegram was handed to General Armstrong. It was from the committee in Alabama. He opened it and read it to the audience. It said, Booker Washington will suit us. Send him at once. Washington prepared to go at once to his new field. After finishing his work at Hampton, he paid a visit to his old home at Maiden, and a couple of weeks later, early in June, he arrived at Tuskegee, Alabama, to begin his new task. Tuskegee at this time was a quiet little town of about 2,000 inhabitants. It is on a small branch railroad, five miles from the main line, which runs from Atlanta, Georgia, to Montgomery, Alabama. The town is about 50 miles from Montgomery. It is right in the heart of what is known as the Black Belt in the South. A large and typical population lived round about. The town was the county seat of Macon County in which lived a large number of Negro farmers, all living very much as the Negro family lived in the South at that time. The white people and the Negroes were about equal in population in the town and lived in cordial and friendly relations. Booker Washington had a great surprise awaiting him when he reached Tuskegee. He thought that this school that he was to be the head of was already in existence and naturally looked about to find the schoolhouse, of course expecting to see a nice building. 
imagine his surprise when he found that there was at yet no school at all and absolutely no building no sign of a school whatsoever he was to start the school himself from the very beginning the legislature had simply set aside two thousand dollars a year to be used only for paying salaries and no provision had been made for building and grounds was booker washington discouraged not for a single minute did he sit down and whine and complain and say that he might as well give up he went right out into town looked up some of the leading men of both races and told them that he was going to start something that he was going to open a school and the men a little amazed at first caught his enthusiasm and said good for you we are with you you can count on us we will help his first effort was to find a house to use as a school building he finally secured a little shanty that stood near the ame church it was agreed that he could use this building for meetings of any kind and that he could teach in the shanty after consulting again with his friends he announced that on july fourth eighteen eighty one the tuskegee institute would open now that he had a place in which to begin work his next job was to get students for his school he began to visit around in the country making talks in the churches at the regular service or at sunday school and at preaching services in schoolhouses and other places he visited in the homes of the people and everywhere he told them of his school plans and this way he came to know the people just as they lived and they learned how sympathetic washington was and how he was trying to help them most of those he visited he found living in one or two room houses with fat pork and cornbread as their principal food but they always treated him kindly and entertained him the best they could one thing that distressed him was the discovery that many of these people had been persuaded to buy such things as costly sewing machines and organs when they didn't have enough to eat and to wear at one place where he took dinner there were four in the family and when they sat down at the table he found that there was but one fork for all five of them their lives were filled with much drudgery and hard work almost no opportunities for improvement it was nearly impossible for them to make a living much less save any money their schools if they had any at all had very short terms and were taught by teachers who knew very little more than the children it was a discouraging situation to anyone except a man like booker washington these are my people he said they need help they need education and the kind of education that will give them cleaner and happier homes healthier bodies better schools and better life in every way i am going to help them the school opened on july fourth eighteen eighty one with thirty students washington was the only teacher a large number of students wanted to enter but he decided not to admit any under fifteen years of age some of these students were boys and some were girls some were grown men and women most of them had been teachers none of them was very well prepared however for they had been very poorly taught but the teacher found all of them eager to learn and ready to work soon there were more students calling for admission within six weeks there were fifty students 
It was necessary to have a new teacher, and the person secured for this work was Olivia Davidson, who afterwards became Booker Washington's second wife. She was a great help to him, and she agreed with him that they must do something for the students beside merely teaching them books. Washington says that they wanted to teach them how to be clean and how to take care of their teeth and clothing, what and how to eat, and how to make a living. All these pupils lived on a farm, as did nearly all the people of the South. Washington wanted to teach them that they would continue to live among their own people and their lives would be happier and better in every way. He did not want them to get a false idea about education. Many of them had the wrong impression already. They thought that getting an education consisted in reading big books and then of being able to earn a living without work. Both of these ideas were wrong. He wanted to teach them something that would make them useful and happy and prosperous on the land in their native state. He certainly could not do this while teaching in a little old shanty with one room that was in such bad condition that one of the pupils had to hold an umbrella over the teacher when it rained. He had the same experience at his boarding house, where his landlady often held an umbrella over him while he ate his breakfast. About three months after the opening of his school, a small farm about one mile from town was offered for sale. Washington went out and looked it over and came to the conclusion that it was just the place for the kind of school that he intended to build. But the price was $500, and he didn't even have a dollar. The owner said, pay me two fifty cash, and I will give you one year to pay the other. Washington borrowed two fifty and closed the deal. He decided to move the school at once to the new home. On this farm were four buildings. The big house had been burned, but there was left standing a little cabin formerly used as a dining room, an old kitchen, a stable, and a hen house. Booker Washington and his growing school moved into these four buildings. The buildings were thoroughly cleaned and worked over and put in as good condition as possible. Washington says, I recall one morning when I told an old colored man who lived near and who sometimes helped me that our school had grown so large that it would be necessary for us to use the hen house for school purposes and that I wanted him to help me give it a thorough cleaning out the next day. He replied in the most earnest manner, what do you mean boss you you surely ain't gonna clean out the hen house in the daytime do you know what a chopping bee is well the students of tuskegee didn't know until booker t taught them after they had been in their new quarters for several weeks washington walked in one day and said Tomorrow we are going to have a chopping bee. Now all of you that have an axe, bring it to school with you. Those of you who don't have one, let me know and I'll get one for you. We will dismiss school early and go to the bee. Next day everybody had an axe, and all of them were wondering what sort of game a chopping bee was. They had never been to one, and they were much excited over it. Soon after dinner, Washington got his axe and threw it on his shoulder and told the boys to come on. They eagerly followed. He led them out to the woods and began cutting down a tree and told them to do the same thing. They did so. 
Washington, swinging his axe faster and better than any of them, led the crowd, though all of them were doing their best. And as they just kept on at this, it presently dawned on them that a chopping bee, after all, was nothing but plain cutting down trees and clearing land. Some of the students became angry. They said they did not come to school to do that kind of work. They came to study books, but they looked at Washington, who was an educated man, and they saw that he was not ashamed to do this kind of work. After a time, they began to see what Washington's purpose was, and they quit complaining and gladly helped with all their might to get this needful work done. There was another way in which Washington secured the assistance of others to build up his school. He had no way of going about over the country except by walking. He did not have a horse or a mule, and he could not cover much territory by walking. So he would watch for some old negro with a mule and wagon and go to him and tell him about his plans. Then he would say, Now, uncle, don't you want to help in this good work? Well, come around early Saturday morning with your mule and wagon and take me out in the country where I can see the people and tell them about our school. And the old man would be there on time. So with the cordial cooperation of the students and friends in the town, the school was making progress. Land was being cleared, and the buildings and grounds were being improved. Washington was spreading the fame of his school throughout the country, and everyone was becoming interested. But that debt of $500 for the land on which the school was being built had not been paid. Where was the money coming from? That was the hard question. Miss Davison started the plan of having suppers or festivals. She would go about town and get friends to donate a chicken or a cake or a pie for a supper. In this way, a good sum was raised. Washington wrote to his friends, explained the situation, and asked for contributions. He asked the Negroes as well as the white people in town to give, and they did. Washington says that sometimes they would give five cents or 25 cents or a quilt or some sugar cane. I recall one old colored woman, he says, who was about 70 years of age. She hobbled into the room where I was, leaning on a cane. She was clad in rags, but they were clean. She said, Mr. Washington, God knows I spent the best days of my life in slavery. God knows I's ignorant and poor, but I know what you and Miss Davison is trying to do. I knows you was trying to make better men and women for the colored race. I ain't got no money, but I wants you to take these six eggs, what I've been saving up, and I wants you to put these eggs into the education of those boys and gals. Washington says that he has received many gifts for Tuskegee, but none that affected him more deeply than this one. Needless to say, by the end of the year, the $500 had been raised and the debt paid. Thus ended the first year of the history of Tuskegee. If you go there now and see the many fine buildings, the broad acres, the hundreds of students, and everything that goes to make up a great and wonderful college, it would be very hard to realize that it started off with one little shanty with a leaky roof, one teacher, and 30 students. From this simple and humble but very earnest beginning, 
tuskegee grew by leaps and bounds until it came to be the most remarkable negro school in the south end of chapter seven